All right, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all here today. It's good to be seen. Um, I'm in my 50s, so I don't know how many more times you're going to see me. Um, I wore bell-bottoms when they were, like, actually popular the first time. So um, we are in a small series within uh, our church's life. It's called If, and it's based on Second Chronicles 7.14, which is, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive them and heal their land. And so in this time of the life of our church, we're, we're really trying to find out how are we going to answer the question of if, how are we going to answer that? So uh, that's where we're at today. When I prepped for this sermon, I was really struck by the fact that the, the whole idea of theology, of this, this Bible, of us coming together and singing and praying, the whole idea of Jesus and his work on the cross is so that we would give our hearts to God, right? Like, we read the Bible so that we would have trust and hope in him, that we would give our hearts to him that we would uh, see God move and that we would trust his movement. We would see his laws and his statutes and we would give our heart to that. We would celebrate his laws and his statutes and his word. And when we pray that we would give our hearts to God, that's the whole purpose of this time together this morning. It's the whole purpose of the Bible. It's the whole purpose of this sermon um, so I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God that he would move in such a way that we would give our hearts to him here this morning. Father, you are so good and I am fully convinced of your sufficiency here this morning. I'm not convinced of my sufficiency to bring glory to your name. And so I ask God that you would send your spirit to move this place, to move our hearts so that we might see you, that we might celebrate you, that we might put our hope and our trust in you. God, convict us, guide us, comfort us, but move, Lord, so that we might give our hearts to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So when I was in Texas, I went to seminary down there in, in Dallas, and one of the places that I rented to live, I, I paid $60 a month for this place. Now, it was no Waldorf Astoria, right? Um, 60 bucks a month. And I found out the third night just how bad it was. So there was rain that day, and I shut the lights off and went to sleep. And in the middle of the night, I, I heard what sounded like somebody dropping a quarter onto the pillow next to my head. And then a few minutes later, someone from Texas is agreeing with me already, and a few minutes later, I felt something skitter across my leg. So I got up and I flipped on the lights and I was horrified by what I saw because it was my first encounter with the roach, the cockroach, the Texas cockroach. These things are bomb-proof, like literally, like if you drop a nuclear bomb on something, the first thing to come back is roaches. Like these things are horrible, and they're the ugliest thing. I, I understand that God made them. I don't know why. They're just disgusting. They, they sweat out of their backs. They, it, it's 
they're, they're gross. And when I flipped on the light, some of them scattered. One of them just stood there, like waiting to, for me to sign the lease over to him. But all of that to say is, the point is, is that there was all this going on in my apartment, in this place, and I didn't know about it until I flipped on the lights. And that's what's happening here in this, this Bible passage where Jesus is flipping on the lights. He's showing us this same point, that there's an, an outer life that other people see, and there's an inner life that's happening that other people cannot see, but God sees that. I was so distraught by this inner life that was happening in my, in my apartment that I basically distrusted Texas. I still do. Maybe that's an overreaction, but the point is that in our hearts, this inner life, there can be things that are going on that, that no one else sees but God. And these Pharisees are doing that. They're living that out. There's this life that everyone else sees that's one way, and there's this heart, this inner life that's happening that's another way. And Jesus is pointing that out. This whole concept of God seeing us in our hearts and man not necessarily seeing in our hearts, it, it's thousands of years old. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, on choosing a king for Israel... Um, named Eliab, uh, they basically said, surely the Lord's anointed is before us. This guy, was, he was strong, he was tall, and all of that. But the Lord said to Samuel, who was looking to choose this king for Israel, do not look on his appearance. Don't look at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outer appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart, right? This, this, this whole idea is introduced right in this way that God is looking at our, at our hearts. He's looking at the inside of us, whereas we look at each other, we see the outside. And the fact that God looks at, at the heart, that God uh, filters the heart, he, he separates the heart, he goes to the place where his word speaks to our hearts, our entire eternity is based on this, on this ideology and this fact. That the inner life of us is our heart, and that's where God is looking. Uh, according to the Bible, the, the, our hearts are the center of our being, right? It's where we, our thoughts come from, our words, our responses to life. It's how we see the world. It's from where we emote comes from our hearts that we live out of our hearts, right? The iconic pop band D-Light said in 1990, very simply, but I think is biblically true, the groove is in the heart. Yeah, right? Heart. <laughs> That's where the groove is at. Proverbs 4 says that as well. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So the idea that God looks at our heart, it's central to salvation, it's central to him sifting us, it's central to him knowing us, that God knows our hearts. Here's the problem, though, with our hearts. Jeremiah 17 says that our hearts are desperately wicked and filled with deceit. That doesn't sound good to me. Jeremiah 31, he says, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, and Ezekiel 36 says, how? Listen to how God is going to make a new covenant, a new promise. I will give you a new heart. 
and a new spirit I will put in you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, one that's soft, moldable, teachable. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and I will cause you to be careful to obey my laws. See, we need a new heart, and God knows this, and he brings it up in this context with the Pharisees. But we need to understand that that's where God's eye is at. It's on our hearts. We, we may not even be able to understand what's happening in our hearts because desperately wicked, filled with deceit, right? But that's where God's eye is at. That's where sickness and deceit lie, but it's also where we live from, from our hearts. It's what God is concerned with is our hearts, and it's what we should be concerned about if we are going to keep in step with God. So let's read this again. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. The Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Another way of saying this is your, your actions, your, your, your outer um, the way that you're showing everyone your outer behavior is different from your heart. Your heart's filled with wickedness and, and greed, but you're acting out of this place so that everyone else will see the good. And he says, you cleanse the outside of the cup, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. How can Jesus say this? Like He's looking at them, and he's, he's saying, you know, it looks like it's clean, but it's actually filthy, it's dirty. Well, first of all, God looks at the heart. We see the outer appearance. He looks at the heart. But Hebrews 7 says this about Jesus. We talked about this a few weeks ago. We have such a great high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, a son who has been made perfect forever. That Jesus, who understands the heart, he's unstained. The inside of Jesus' cup is perfect because the outside was perfect, and they matched. There's no hint of sin. There's no stain that Jesus is innocent. Like he's, there's never any space or inner, inner, any inner disconnect between Jesus' heart and what he's doing on the outside. What you see on the outside of Jesus is also the inside of him. In him, there is no guile. There's no treachery. There's no skillful deceit. There's no cunning. There's no slyness. There's no darkness. There's no lies. There's no shadows. There's no deceit found in his mouth or in his heart. This is Jesus. And it's not that just that Jesus has like moral authority to say, well, the outside of the cup is dirty and the inside is clean. It's true because he sees it. It's true that we live secret lives, right? John 2 says this about Jesus, that he would not entrust himself to men. Why? Because he knew what was inside of them. He knew what was in their hearts. Now, there is a difference between the Pharisees and us. Like, if you're here and you love Jesus and you, you worship him and he is your Lord and your Savior, 
then that's different. These Pharisees, they were not believers. They did not love Jesus. They did not want to bring glory to him and all of that. But there are those of us here that do. But the thing, the, the, the principle that Jesus is trying to put forward is that we can and do have secrets in our hearts. Like there's a disconnect in a lot of us, in most of us, and all of us, where our hearts are different from what people see on the outside. But Jesus doesn't merely diagnose that problem. He redeems us in the midst of the problem. So I don't want to overstate this, but I want to talk about the thing. There is a tension here. It is possible that there are folks that are here that are clean on the outside, at least from what we see of each other. But inside, there's wickedness, there's hiding, there's lying, there's defending when someone else tries to look inside. There's striking out at others when they don't live up. In some ways that we are like Pharisees, we have a lack of integrity, right? This is what happens in our hearts. The Bible calls it hypocrisy. I asked one of our engineers, we have a lot of engineers that are around here, and, um, and I said, hey, I just texted him, what are the implications of even the smallest lack of integrity within the hull of an aircraft? And this is how he responded. It was really, it was kind of like a dictionary response, but I'll just read it to you. Physics of failure mechanisms like crack propagation multiply stress many times and are quite dangerous. Same could be said if, say, a rivet broke. Now everything adjacent has to bear not only the original load, but a multiplication of that load. And then he says, of course, these things are uh, something that any kid off the farm knows don't need any fancy degree. I think he was referring to me because I'm the kid off the farm and I was mind blown. He says this, I asked him about like what are the, the factors if, a, if there's a failure of integrity and he said it would be far worse for a crack initiation because the radius of the tip of a crack is microscopic but when factored up could raise the stress level through the roof. So one lack, one small crack in the integrity of the hull of an aircraft will propagate out and multiply time after time. The weakness will be brought in. He said catastrophic failure will happen. Have you ever told a lie and then in order to keep that lie you had to lie again and then the two lies build up and then you can't remember who it is that you lied to or what you said, so then you have to make up another lie to cover the first two lies. And by the time you get out, this story is, there's no reality to it at all. One microscopic crack, one lie, one break in the integrity, and we have to cover it. It multiplies, right? Jesus says this about someone who is caught up in that. In verse 44, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk all over them without knowing it. Right? Unmarked graves, like there's death in there. There's a hole in the ground that they could fall into. They get caught up in those lies. See, Jesus' integrity is perfect. There's no cracks in the hall of Jesus' integrity and he calls us to step into this integrity. He calls us to put on the cloak of righteousness, the new self, according to Colossians 
3. And that's what we're going to look, look at and try and do. But to understand just how bad it is, there are people that are here that they don't want for others to see the truth of what's going on in their heart. So they hide, they lie, they change the subject when you ask them about it. They ask questions or use humor to throw you off the scent, right? Well, what does Jesus say? Did not he who made the outside of the cup also make the inside? And this is so, such good news. But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Give as alms the things that are inside. He's talking to the Pharisees who, like, everything that they do, it's public. They stand up in public and they, they pray with these long prayers, and Jesus goes against them because he knows what's in their heart. It's not long worship. They just want to look good amongst each other. But he says, give alms, give prayers from inside. Or they would stand and they'd be like dropping money into the, into the bucket to show that, that they're doing their due diligence and their lawful duty to give to God, right? He's like, no, don't do that. Give from your heart. Drop in from your heart. But what do you hear when you hear Jesus saying, give as alms those things that are within? Do you, do you hear condemnation? I don't, but what about you? Do you hear, I can worship God from this place in my heart? Do you hear Romans 8.1 is true? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but yet you can worship, you can give alms from your heart, you can give worship from your heart, you can pray from your heart. Again, these words are to Pharisees who are not Christians, but you are, Right? So here's what I hear, and, and this is what I want the Spirit to speak to us. If you could put the, the Proverbs passage up on the screen behind me. It's Proverbs 23, 26. This is from a father beckoning his son. My son, give me your heart and let your delight, let my delight, sorry, let your eyes delight in my ways. The English language. Son or daughter, give me your heart. Do you hear this from your heavenly Father? Give me your heart. Give alms from those things that are within. Give me your heart. Do you hear an invitation to go to a deeper level with him wherever you're at? Give me your heart, son, daughter. Give me your heart. That's what I hear when I, when I read these words that Jesus says, give alms as alms those things that are within. A heart given to God is one that's filled with integrity, it's filled with truth, it's filled with light, it's filled with peace, it's filled with joy, it's filled with righteousness, it's filled with strength, filled with hope and compassion, gentleness, self-control, patience, it's loving, it's fearless, it's free. These are the things that God wants for you in your heart. And he's saying, give me your heart. Let's talk. Let's move. Let me form your heart. Let me change things that are in your heart. So why does Jesus say this to the, to the, the Pharisees? Because they're so accustomed to not living out of their heart. 
They're so accustomed to living and worshiping God from an empty and darkened place. Look good to everyone else, but they don't have a heart for God. We don't want this, right? It will destroy you eventually to live out of this place where you're trying to make everything look good for those that are watching and you forget that God's eye is on your heart. And it will lead others to destruction. They're stepping over an open grave with you. It's hurtful and it enslaves other people. So I want to respond this morning and I've really tried to think through like what is the way that I think would be good for us to respond. And going back to 2 Corinthians 7, or 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Let's just start there. Spending some time praying and interceding for each other. Right? I just want to spend a few minutes doing that. There's a few different uh, aspects that I would like for us to pray over. But let's just think about this. Think about the people that you know and that are around you. And that there are those who cannot tell the truth. Right? You know them. You, you can pick up on their, their lies. And it, they, they compound their lies to make sure that the, the first one that they told somehow stands. And they live with the reality that their hearts are in bondage. They just can't say the truth. They're so enslaved and ensnared by lies. They're in bondage to a fantasy world that will keep them hidden from you and me. Will you pray for those people? Will you pray that they speak the truth? Will you pray that God comes to them and, and lets them know that he is a safe place for them to go to? Would you pray that they would expose the darkness? Would you pray that they would give their heart to their Father in heaven? You can pray silently for them, um, or just take a few minutes, and if you can't think of anyone else to pray for, then pray for yourself. But we're going to have some background music going, It'll take about four minutes or so, five minutes, and just pray for those that you know that are ensnared by this hidden life, this, this life where their, their hearts are filled with lies. And pray for them. Pray for, the, for them that they would be free. Pray for them that they would walk and speak the truth in love. So let's just take a few minutes and I'll come back up and put us on to the next one.
Father, I pray for you to send your spirit to deliver people from the bondage of lies. Lord, I pray that there would be such a change of heart that they would give their heart to you, Heavenly Father, in such a way that they cannot wait to tell the truth again. They cannot wait to live in it. They cannot wait to, to live in the light of it. I pray, Lord, against fear of what man can do to them. I pray for, Lord, encouragement and um, trust in you and how you can bring them out of this. I ask God that they would see you as a good father, a kind caring, loving, and strong, and powerful Father who can help them. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. There may also be those here who are enslaved to, to sexual sin or addictions. It's taken over. And they may be in such a place that they don't feel like they can stop, and they're saying that. I can't stop. And words like, you have everything that you need for life and godliness, they don't mean much to them because of their experience. And they're becoming what they're beholding. They're seeing it, replicating it. Will you pray for them right now that they will be free that they will expose the darkness. Will you pray now that they would give their heart to their Father in heaven concerning this? Let's take a few more minutes.
Father, I pray for us as a church. Lord Jesus, your work on the cross is sufficient to deliver us from any sin. Lord, we are in this culture where sexual sin is a trillion dollar a year business. And it's permeated our culture and it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. But Lord, your work on the cross trumps that. Your sufficiency, your power, your blood, the purity of who you are is better than that. So we bank on that and we come to you and we ask, Lord, that you would move, that you would deliver, that you would help, that you would bring an internal purity and an internal cleanliness that resembles your own, Lord. Help us to put on the, the new person in the cloak of righteousness. Help us to live, Lord, as if you are our Father who gives us everything that we need to live. God, I pray that you would move, that we would give you our hearts. Amen. Lastly, there are those that are enslaved to what I would call bitterness and, and unforgiveness. People here that are bitter and angry Um, they even twist the truth because of their anger and it comes out as, as gossip or, or slander. And they're scared to go to the person that they're angry with. Possibly because of, they're afraid that their anger is going to come out or possibly that they feel that that person is going to reject them. But they're stuck. They're enslaved because it's this loop of I'm angry, but I don't want to go to them because I don't want to have them be angry. And so they stay angry. And they walk away not saying what's on their mind. And it ends up coming out in gossip or slander with other people because of their bitterness. Will you pray for them that they would be freed from this, released from their anger, and that they would be able to forgive? They would be able to to release this anger anger and let let it go in such a way that it brings glory to to the father by them seeing their own sin seeing their own brokenness but a trusting of this anger to their father would you pray that they would give their hearts to the father they would see him correctly give of their heart to a trusted father who sees and hears and loves Spend a few more minutes.
Father, would you move in such a way that they would be drawn out, that we as a church would be drawn out to forgive, that we would live as if our heart has been given to you, as if our reputation has been given to you. I ask God that you would move and that you would help and that you would teach Redeemer Church more what it looks like to live their life as if their heart is in your hands. Lord Holy Spirit, you are sufficient and you are so incredible at, at convicting us in the places where we need to hear from you and, and grow. So Lord, you're welcome here to do that. You're welcome here to move and, and teach us what it is that you want us to talk about. Where's the place that we have not quite given our heart to you? We're holding it back from you. And it's coming out in all sorts of crazy sins. So I ask God that you would do that, that you would move. I ask, Lord, that you would teach Redeemer this so that we might be a light to this world that we live in, which is filled with darkness and hearts that are far, far from you. I pray, Lord, that you would just teach us and help us to grow in these areas. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.